Hey, everybody. Welcome to Midnight Revolution. Midnight Revolution is a podcast celebrating the friendships that anchor us in life and the deeply centering and transformative talks that accompany them. I'm Malisa Joes Khan, a family medicine physician, entrepreneur, wife, and mother of two. And I'm Catherine Akiko Day, an art director for film and television, a painter, crossfitter, and activist. Our music is by Alishaba Etoop. On today's episode, we talk to Dr. Anam Saeed. Anam Saeed is a cardiologist, lipidologist, and physician scientist. Through her advanced training, she unravels ways to keep hearts healthy and prevent cardiovascular disease. Though her work digs deep into medical science, you may also see her playing tennis, spending meaningful time with family, or sharing thoughtful, inspirational quotes. She pauses to notice the beauty of nature, to bring her full presence to connect with friends, and contemplate the deeper meaning in life. Dr. Saeed spends just as much time caring for spiritual life as she does a physical one. Today, we talk to Anam about the intersection of spirituality and science. I'm just going to start with your bio because I was like, I wonder how Anam puts her, um, I'm going to ask you like how you identify your different roles and your different hats that you wear. But I was, you know, I know you as a colleague and a friend through training where we did residency at Brown uh, at the same time, concurrent times, even though I was in family medicine and you were in internal medicine mm, and yeah. we can talk about how we gelled, obviously. Um, but I was like, okay, I know her through this. I know she's a cardiologist. I know, you know, you're doing a lot of cardiovascular risk research, like wondering how you identify those things on your LinkedIn. So I went on your LinkedIn and I, I was like cardiologist, lipidologist. So, mm-hmm. so specific. And I didn't know that was a thing, but that's really cool. So you can tell me a little bit, you can tell us a little bit about how you identify your hats that you wear. And then we can go from there because I, I really want to hear, you know, I definitely like, I'm always in awe of all your knowledge and the way you share it and your connection with your friends and your colleagues and you bring that to everything you know your Mm. professional work your friendships just the way you connect and talk to people I just love and that's kind of like why we we became friends you know thanks for um actually having me here I think it's sort of it's a very different feel to this part where I'm like not presenting some sort of a data or whatever yeah Um, but (laughs) it's about me makes me a little bit I should have done my hair and makeup a little bit (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, you're great. You're great. Authentic. Yeah. It's fine. No, but great. we have so many identities. We're really a, a, a sort of a conjoined. I don't think one of our identities is different than the other. So I think while on my LinkedIn, it's very, very specific about a cardiologist and a lipidologist and a physician scientist, I really think mm. that the way I identify my professional life is um, as a physician scientist or like a, you know, a lifelong learner or someone who would always be sort of consuming and growing and expanding the knowledge base that she comes across. Mm-hmm. And while on this journey, I happen to be um, interested in cardiology and along with cardiology, anything that really happens to prevent and curtail 
the disease that sort of goes to the cardiovascular system because that's what sparked the joy and the interest in me when I was 15 and I've sort of continued to expand on that so really I would say that in my professional um, identity it would be like a physician scientist or a lifelong learner who happens to love cardiovascular disease and wants to or, or, or love prevention of cardiovascular disease mm. so whether it uh, pertains to like you know, getting that expertise in lipids, which I happened to stumble upon. That wasn't part of plan number one. Uh, I did a prevention fellowship because I didn't get into cardiology the first time I applied to it. So I ended up like uh, going through this, uh, uh, you know, a different role. And then um, sort of going on to become a cardiologist, which I am finally, but also being okay with the fact that for me, I don't want to have like an end point Mm. that defines me you know it's like often we're like okay I'm done with training I'm done so for me it's always like okay what is it that I can do next and you know Mm -hmm. and and at the same time being perfectly okay where I am never Mm. really wanting to ask or sort of tell myself that I need to get there you know it's like I want to go there but I'm going to love and be on this journey and gain the best the most that I can I think I can we can all feel that like people who know you they feel that from you and the medical world can be really like, um, like two dimensional, you know, like it can become really like, like what you're saying, like you're used to going out there, giving information, people receive information. They, they splice it up, they share it again, they present it, they publish it, especially with like science. It can become, even though the field itself, like being a scientist sounds so creative and the way you teach kids is like all about creativity and curiosity. But when you get into like the sciences as a Mm. professional, it becomes really like, um, and you can speak more about this, but it becomes really two-dimensional and the creativity can sometimes get drained out of it. And there's a lot of like politicking and right. um, <clears throat> like how to get my my paper heard and how to get my paper published right. and, and like this kind of like- You can get shaded. Yeah, you can, yeah, there's like this positioning that people do. But what I love about you, Adam, is that like in the medical world, like you would always just come in every day, like- there was like a glow of like energy around <laughs> you and it would just like spread out to people that you saw. You'd be like, Hey, good morning. How are you? And it's not like even what you said, or if you smiled or not, it's just like an energy that you give off right. and you give off that feeling that like, I'm here, I'm like ready to take in what's going on. And I'm also mm. ready to give whatever I have to give. We realized that a lot of us like just never dealt with how to express ourselves. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. that's what it is. So I think that stress or the thing that we see in medicine is like we're so used to, for some reason, for whatever. You know, everybody's different. Everybody's like how they've been raised up. That's different. How they've learned how to sort of manage or like compartmentalize their parts of their lives is different. Yeah. But I think a lot of it is people just not learning how to manage their stress. Yeah. How to manage who, you know. Or, or, or how to manage being, this is where I am today and where I want to be, you know. I think this is a lot of like, my work needs to get done now. Mm-hmm. And I think, but if we were really to stop, pause and look and and see that everybody else has the same, everybody's just struggling the same way and everybody's mm-hmm. trying to do their best. Yeah. I mean, hopefully, I think really, truly, 
90% of the people are doing what they think is the best way. Yeah. And then you really emphasize that you're like, okay, well, let's see what's going on here. And uh, I mean, a lot of times, like we are, we can't all be therapists, you know, that's something that's not going to happen. Ultimately, we all probably need a therapist. I think that's what we need. That little, whatever that outlet is, yeah. is that like meditation for you? Is that that little, you know, mm. spirituality for you? Is that like mindfulness in the morning or one practice or is it going to a therapist just, or sort of just learning coping strategies? To mm-hmm. just deal with, like, what comes, what is life going to throw our way today? And, like, I mm-hmm. think genuinely there's some part, and I think this is proven now, there's some element of genetics, but then there's also, like, your lifelong habits, right? It's the muscles mm-hmm. that you can build that, am I really going to take this time to sort of invest in my mindfulness? And, and so I bring my best to whatever I do, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also know when to stop and get the help that I need and yeah. identifying that I need that, you know, not letting right. my, I think the ego sort of plays a big part of this. And it's unfortunately this type A personality that we have a lot in medicine. We all have it. Yeah. Anyone who's been goal achieving or has achieved goals has some element of this type A personality. And I think that comes with its own, while it's great to like achieve the goals, it also comes with a lot of this, like, you know, later on in life, anxiety, depression, which we know is there uh, with it. Um, but you know, I think it's 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 a, it's a societal thing. I think it's a it's a thing that we. I always used to be like, all right, well, this is not something that. I don't know if we can. How are we going to change it? Because this is what society values, right? Like I am I, all my life. I tr- I actually I trained as a tennis player. I don't know if I told you, Melissa. You probably remember that. But anyone who knows me knows I've grown up playing tennis, and I remember my coach coming up to me once and saying that you're so good. I remember my coach telling me, and that was way before that he was like, you know, you can be like really good, but you just don't have the killer instinct. And I was like, why do I need killer instinct? I mm. think, and I think the same mentality, right? Whether it's sports or it's a really binary outcome, right? I think you kind of need a little bit of that mentality in, in sports. You need, I think sports can teach us a lot. I think work ethic wise, I learned a lot through sports and um, but I also learned that to defeat my, to ultimately win myself, I have to learn the weaknesses of my opponent. Mm. And I have to like sort of try and exploit that. Yeah, exploit, exploit, manipulate. Yeah, exploit that. Exactly. So exploit that. But then there was this other caveat, I think, is what I learned through experience that I can probably work on myself the most and I think I'll still win. So I think that's the, that I think is really in my opinion, the difference between people who will, not that I'm saying that I'm that person, but but I aspire to be like those people who are so focused on themselves and their development in that way that they're not thinking about exploiting the others, the rights of others. They're not thinking of exploiting the weakness of others. You know, they're not just thinking that I think once you become that way or once you learn to start or at least go in that journey to be that person or aspire to be that person, you realize that um, we're all kind of connected. And I think Mm -hmm. me taking from someone else's right is never going to give me lifelong happiness, never. And it just Mm -hmm. never happens. And I think that's the ultimate belief that we have to have. So, Mm -hmm. so I don't know. So we just this is a long way around the the question that you had, Malas, or the comment that you made about uh, I don't. I, I, back then in, at Brown, I didn't know why I turned up happy. I remember Marva, <laughs> our friend, like once told Marva, <laughs> was like she asked me like, 
why do you come to work so happy? And I was like, I don't know. Like, is that a bad thing? <laughs> like, and, and just going back to the, our residency program, I remember, and I think we might have all done it. I may have done it a lot of times too. But I remember one day I was sitting there, I was like, I tried so hard to get into this residency. It was so hard to get the spot. It was so hard. Mm. And I remember there was an ICU admission. I was like a little bit like cranky at that time. I was like, oh, like it's and, and night float admission, night float. Yeah. When she says for people who aren't, you know, not in the medical world, <clears throat> a night float is that uh, that person that is uh, a resident who takes care of the hospital at night. So all the uh, attending physicians um, who are kind of like the overseeing physicians, they're all gone, you know, they're at home, they're sleeping. So somebody takes care of the hospital at, at night and in teaching mm. hospitals, and that's the residence. Mm. And uh, so every time you have to wake up because someone is getting admitted. So someone's sick enough to go from the ER and have to get a bed on the floor. Mm. You have to admit them. You have to figure out what's wrong with them. Obviously they're being taken care of a little bit in the ER and then you're kind of following up on that. And mm. but there's usually a lot more in it. And it takes a lot of work at 3 a.m. to go through all of that. And so getting an admission at night, is like you always wish as a night float person that you get no admissions. Uh-huh. You, <laughs> you always sleep wish. the night. Yeah. yeah. Your yeah, pager never like, goes off. Yeah. It, it never it never goes off. And I remember I was like, I, I, I cannot fall into this. Right. I cannot do this. Like, this is just not the right thing to do. I think that my, I remember specifically in that room, I was like, you guys did ICU too, right? You did overnight? Yeah. 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 I used to love yeah. when you were on at the same time as on ICU because I was like, I'll just ask her yeah. everything. Yeah. So, uh, Melissa is very smart. I don't know why she's saying that, but <laughs> I, I, personally, I felt like, I was like, man, like, I can't, I can't go into this. Like, I, that is somebody's like mother, father, or whatever down yeah. there in the yard. That is literally, yeah. And I think you just have to bring yourself back into that. Right. It's like you could be like, that could be me one day. What kind of a position would I want taking care of me? Yeah. Like, yeah. And and I think that's what ultimately would, um, and, and 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 just the fact, the joy and like the the pride that you should feel to to having worked so hard, you know, and being in a place. I was like, well, this is what I came for, and. Mm-hmm. And I wrote this in my personal statement multiple times, as did everybody else who cries and cries about that mission and God, like it doesn't, that's not how things have to be. You know, I think we just have to realize that, you know, when we write that in our personal story, we're like, I'm the hardest person, working person you've seen. You know, like, it's like how, it, it's sort of like, you just have to be like, this is where I am right now and I'm going to do my best. And I think yeah. that ultimately what has carried me through and I hopefully I think that's gonna yeah. you know that's something that we can if we all kind of do that I really think that we can really live in a world which is a lot uh, more comfortable or a lot more like charming and, and, and welcoming and just to you know elucidate that a little bit is that you know it's easy in your personal statement when you're applying for these things to be like and I'm gonna do everything and I'm great and like everything you know I do awesome things and you should hire me but then when it comes down to the humanity of it, we're just doing the best we can, you know, to, right. to kind of humble ourselves being like in night float, will I be that person that like is super crabby to the patient or to the nurses or to the staff and be really difficult? Or am I going to be that person that can put that aside? And that really doesn't have to do with like how great of a doctor you are on paper, but it has mm-hmm. to do with your humanity. And I think that if you cannot bring humanity to care the care is not really worthwhile. 
you know, no matter how great of a doctor you yeah. are on paper or how great yeah. of a provider you are that mm-hmm. you say that you are, um, if you can't bring the humanity to the care, then there's a lot missing. Like it's so hard to not fall into being jaded and into cynicism, right? Just in the world in general, especially today. And I like, it's such a good example because like you said, Mollis, it's such a primal survival instinct to be woken when you're sleeping and you need sleep and then asked to care for another person. Um, But in general, yeah, I feel like there's, there's such a pull towards cynicism and towards apathy even when we care about something, because also sometimes it feels like you care so much about something. And then you see all of these results. And especially in our digital kind of reactive age, like you see so much bad. Yeah. You see you're exposed to so many bad outcomes and bad things that are happening about things that you care about, that it's so easy to get pulled into cynicism. And something that I pulled out from what you were saying was to make it smaller, right. To make it about this moment right now. And to just make it about just showing up today (laughs) and being present today with the human in front of you, right? And like bringing it down to that smaller level so that it doesn't feel like you have to solve all the problems all the time and and like there's this mountain and so why even try? But it's just like, oh, I'm here right now. Yeah, no, I agree. 100%. And I think, yeah, I, I really think that's uh, something to be said. I think also like one of the things, Catherine, I, um, I read this book called The Power of Now. I don't know if you guys have read it. I've read it. Mm-hmm. You read it. Both have read a lot of the same books. I know. I'm also like, y'all have read all the same books. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So definitely. one of the things that one of the things that this person talks about is the psychological clock, right? And I think that's where we spend our time. And I was reading a little bit of that last night, and I remember thinking. I was like, oh, is medicine for some people just the means to the next level thing, right? Mm-hmm. Is this what we are doing? Is this where we are and that's why we behave in the way we do is I want to be a doctor and we never really thought about why we want to be doctors right did we mm. want to be doctors just for the heck of it did I did I just want to do my internal medicine residency to be a cardiologist you know and I think those are the or is this real joy in like learning and, and actually taking care of people and mm. being a provider in terms of a, you know scientific like knowledge and 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 making discoveries or is that what it is so so I think the why needs to be something we all need to work on a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I recently went through this like um, thing where I had to make a very tough decision. You know, I was writing this NIH grant thing and um, and I got a good score. So the chances were that I submit the next time it would just go through. I think that's whatever my all sort of my mentoring team had said to me. And I remember I was very pumped. I was like, this was back in like February. And March was a deadline and I did it all. It was like, oh, this is great. This is all low hanging comments. I can answer them and get it in. And I got it. And I was like, all right, I'll submit it. So I'm ready to submit. Everything's fine. And then for whatever reason, I accepted a faculty position here. Not whatever reason, but that it just happened. The, the faculty position offer coincided here. I fit at the same time. And I ended up being ineligible for that grant that I just submitted, um... which, was the, which was a big thing. So... So it was just a question of whether I forego that faculty position versus like use those grant. And I remember my mentor asked me, so why do you want that grant anyway? Yeah. And I was, he was like, 
He was like, what is, what is about the grant? Do you need the money? He said, oh, I have the money and I'll support your research for now and you get your stuff. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's true. And maybe at that time I was just very focused on, because it was like the next best thing to do. It's like, oh, you're right. the, you become the stellar. Like it's sort of like a very hierarchical NIH thing that goes on you know, you get the K grant and then you get the R and then. Right. Uh, it's a hierarchical so, thing. You know, get, you're, you're shooting for that R01 grant, which is like the highest, the most amount of money, the most amount of accolades. People will know your yeah. research. Mm. And that, yeah. 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 You feel like and you're I, just on that train to try to get to that R01. You're mm. in that train. Right. And, and I think that research needs money. You need it. And I was like, well, I guess I also wanted the status for it, you know, and I, mm. I wanted to be that K-funded person. And, right. and I think, um, and at that time I was, I'm, I'm lucky that they're going to support my research anyway. So that's fine. Um, but that part, right. Like my ego had to like take like a second step and be like, all right, well, I, I'm ambitious. I want to get these things. I want to do them. But I think if I don't get it, there's something better out there for me. I think that I can just, and I can still do my work. So why do I care? You know, on, um, I know you're really close with your family um, and, you know, you, you visit them a lot. I see your beautiful pictures. Who like who gives you where did you get this like vibe for life? Because mm-hmm. I can see when I see pictures of you together, I feel like it's like genetic, like you all like it looks <laughs> like you all have it passed down. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Is that like something you just developed? Did you get it from somebody in your family? Is that like how you grew up? Like, what is, what's the story of that? Yeah. (laughs) Malisa, you're making me sound just like great person, but. (laughs) (laughs) You are great. You are great. But, you know, I think my mom, I think my mom is, um, I, I think, my mom, I saw her as a very like good human all, all my life. I have seen her um, sort of take on a lot in terms of, um, you know, just, just being just a vibrant sort of beautiful human mm-hmm. who has chosen at various times in their life. And I've seen her, you know, as, and when you're a kid, you're really seeing a lot that's happening. And, yeah. and, 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 and mind you, I had a very secure, loving household. And I think that's one key element of having the security and not sort of, um, I think this, this whole concept of this early on in life, whether you're in the secure, loving yeah. environment or nourishing right. environment versus a more of a survival environment, yeah. I think yes. that can really impact a lot. Absolutely. I think the genes when I talk about or if anything at all that way I um there are parts of me that I identify most with my mom and there are parts of me that I that I identify most with my also identify with my dad like my dad's very social they are going very courteous towards people a big like administrative person on his life like a big man of service that way uh my mom on the other hand is very um same person too they're it, it's funny because I think sometimes they're a little bit identical both mm-hmm. very big family people, like in mm-hmm. terms of like, both in, in their sort of siblings, uh, you know, my mom is five siblings, she's number three, um, but sort of like that middle child who was like the peacekeeper of mm-hmm. everything and like a very like, where the sisters would rely on all the time where, you know, even her older siblings would rely on a lot um, and very dutiful in fact with my dad also, who is the eldest, he's number two of like nine kids. 
And I think till this day, he is like very supportive of his family, whether it's like my, you know, whether it's like emotional support, psychological or, or financial support. So that Mm. way, I think that really taught me the importance of family. Mm. Ultimately, I think it's also something through reading and through learning and having this sort of a spirituality. Um, I'm naturally attracted to that. Mm. I think I can't change. I don't know, right? Because I have tried my younger sister to get her onto meditation and like this and that, and she's just not gonna budge. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Not her thing. It's not her vibe. All right. <laughs> so I, you just so I, 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 whatever it is, those genetics then go to her. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sometimes so I think uh, I also Malis I think this is one thing that you I kind of get I get a feeling that you're onto this sort of journey also which you know we have the same um, sort of there's a lot of spiritual teachers that I'm attracted to their writings like I have learned a lot about Rumi there's a Sufi you know Mm -hmm. poet from I don't know centuries ago um, and then, you know, there's another like Buddhist uh, monk uh, uh, who was from, he's a Vietnamese uh, monk and his teachings have been, have resonated very nicely uh, with me. And I think oh, I've come to realize that there's a lot of like balancing required of who I want to be and who I am and then understanding the privilege that I've had of growing up in a very secure, loving environment as a child and mm-hmm. having been able to not been in a place where I've needed the survival mode but mm-hmm. then a lot of opportunities have come now don't get me wrong but I, I moved to America on my own and mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. you know and there's always that there's always this thing there's always that fear that sometimes you know I think this is an this is I don't want to quote anything on anyone about this but it's it's a big thing right like it's like you a lot of immigrants come to this country leaving their families yeah mm-hmm. and not having anything to fall back on right. and I remember thinking to myself I was like well I shouldn't make decisions based out of fear mm. yeah they that's, can, that's hard you know it's it's, it's very hard it's a very hard it's an intentional process to be like okay I know what's going on I know this is tough I know that I'm working out of my norm I know that I'm pushing myself. You have to be present. And, yeah. and in some ways that tempers the those autonomic responses that are going to happen when yeah. you're in survival mode and, and right. it can prevent some traumas. So we talked about previously on previous episodes that trauma is a subjective experience. So you can go through survival mode, but mm-hmm. not necessarily be traumatized by that. I think that's what you're saying. Um, that, that, and you had, and you're also acknowledging and appreciating the privilege and the comfort that you're coming from to be allowed to do Mm -hmm. that. Um, which is very, um, you know, insightful. Like you, you've taken the time to, to reflect on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, I I don't know if it's just the spiritual practice. I've just, so for the last like two and a half, three years, I want to say, um, I've been on this, like where I've had a very consistent meditation practice I was always I was raised in religion um very much like you know growing up it's like I've followed the Islamic faith and I've been I would not say I've been devout but essentially I uh you know have followed to the best of my like what was culturally there but one thing Mm -hmm. that has always bothered me about religion the rigidness um of religion um in my opinion has been that you know how can I be taught one thing about how being I'm better than someone else based on mm-hmm. just something that they follow when we all follow the same God 
So in that way, I think my views have changed a lot over the past, like maybe I would say gradually in the last seven, eight, nine, ten years, whatever. Um, but just un- but also understanding that same thing as you know, I don't have one identity. I and I cannot be like you know. I, I think we cannot be so stuck on self-rightness and and this yeah. self-identity because when something becomes an identity then you know you're going to have a tough time letting it go and you're going to yes, be yeah. you're going to turn to the survival person and 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 yeah. almost like the extremism sort of kicks in i think so um i think it's... that way over the past few years now just sort of being mindful about what i'm doing and how you know i think just being present i think has really helped yeah i was specifically going to ask you about islam and how that like what that identity like means to you because um and and I'm glad you touched on that because I know you like as you mentioned you grew up in a religious household you know for me for example growing up Hindu in a Hindu household that was very religious uh it was it becomes a part of like your family identity but then you have to then decide how do you want to interact with faith and how do you take that on for yourself and what that means to you and does it inform or in which ways does it inform sort of your present view of the world? You know, Mm. are there unique things that you did bring from that? Because I'm sure there, there are, there were for me that I could be like, okay, I need, I I can appreciate and take this with me, but I also don't really like a lot of the things that are going on as well, like in the philosophy or the practice of it, you know, there's various elements to religion. A lot of it's just driven by how people practice it. So yeah. how was that for you? Like, what, what was that for you? In, in, uh... Yeah, you know, Melissa, when I talk about the religion growing up, I think I grew up in a faithful family, in a, in a family, and I think this is how that very much it is, which um, was, my parents are atypical in that way. Again, I think I have that little bit of an advantage right from the get-go, the privilege. Um, they're also very liberal by Islamic standards, or like, or at least the traditional standards. That I would say, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I'm, a, I'm, I'm pretty sure that I am a Muslim, and, and I want and I celebrate the same things. And but whether a lot of <laughs> whether a lot of Muslims like agree with what I how right. I live my life and who I am and what mm-hmm. I accept or not accept or yeah. or whatever. I think um, that is going to be different because God can say the same thing to all of us, but we all can understand it in a different way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. I think um, it's like God can, God talks to all of us. So wh- one of the things is I've been very aware of faith. I've been very aware of the spiritual world and I've been very aware of that to me, there's absolutely no doubt. And being a scientist, like physician scientist is really like sort of, um, I've been able to harness that faith uh and and that is like pushed me deeper into science i think and um science itself has reaffirmed my faith into like the entire power mm. i think that that is there um how much of islam i think i think the the habits and and the universal more morality laws are very consistent through a lot of religions yeah are very consistent actually if you ask like non-practicing or non-religious people, people who don't believe in God, I think there are universal ethical laws, which one would argue that um, don't make religious people better than atheists or Mm -hmm. don't make atheists better than religious people. Mm -hmm. I think it's only when you go into this like 
um, the part of the religion, the rigidity of religion that I have had a little bit of an issue with is this like sort of, again, the rigidity, right? Like the self-righteousness and how I can be, how I am, I somehow have the ability to judge everything that's different Mm -hmm. than I am. Anyone who lives differently than I am or anyone who believes in things that are differently. I, I love the prayer factor in Islam that I've been taught certain prayers and then I still perform them, um, you know, very much. And uh, and I think that to me is um, is just ingrained in my system. And, and I think, um, but having said that, I have gone to churches and I've gone to like, I want to visit other places of worship because I think there's a certain serenity and peacefulness about the places that have a spiritual connection, whether on the face of it, we want to divide and, and, and call ourselves different people. I think yeah. religion is just another like window into spirituality and yeah. just acknowledging that there's a higher power. And uh, to me personally, science is also that way. So I think you can really look at everything and see really that, that cliche statement that there's, you can look at everything and say there's a miracle or you can just be like, you know, I, this is just another thing or, or whatever. So right. I never say never. As a scientist, I never say never. So I will never say that <laughs> nothing. Yeah, you can never know for sure, right? You can never say never. I can never say never. So so I think um, as long as I have God, as long as I have faith, I think there's always a better day on the horizon. You know, there's always a better moment out there. So I think that's really helped me from reeling in a lot of circumstances that um, are with it. So... You know, the other aspect of religion becomes is uh, the acceptance in the community. And I think that's one aspect that I love. And, um, you know, yeah. but that's also one of those things that sometimes a lot of people struggle with. I, uh, you know, it's like, oh, you know, it's very common for the self-righteousness to start coming up when you're sort of practicing a certain uh, traditional cultural aspect of religion I think that's the problem mm-hmm. um, I think and I don't know what the answer for that is yeah I mean I think you you kind of answered it already which I think is it's you said it really quickly but I think it's so important that when we identify as something and we hold on right. too tight to it that we we become one with that identity and our identity can't grow we become any fragile you your your actual true self your authentic self that's uh kind of encased by this external identity becomes really fragile and then the fear of losing that radicalizes us and Mm -hmm. it makes us I mean we see it right now with reproductive rights right Mm -hmm. is that people are really they're not really talking about choice or women's health or reproductive autonomy. They're just the fear and their mm. identity about what life means. Yeah. They feel like is may I, I imagine that some people feel like that's being threatened and that's why it's yeah. such a, a a visceral response to, to and being right. Things. And and then being right about that, right? Because if they're not right, then you know, uh, if someone I? is not right, then who mm-hmm. am I? Right. Because your whole identity yeah. becomes tied to that. So when we are so closely tied to our, our identity and we don't live or see beyond it, <clears throat> external identity, not that you can't have like an authentic self or a spirit right. or something that lives deeper, that's important and that's unique. Um, but these kind of external factors that we're saying yeah. that this is what makes me who it's I am. It's kind of like the social mirror is like how one book I read puts it. It's like the you might think that's your identity, but it's like being projected onto you or you're like took it from 
a projection yes. or a story that's kind of outside yeah. of yourself. And it like the way that we're talking about it too, makes me think of mindset and like growth versus fixed and how fixed mindsets come when you are told like, oh, you're so talented at this. And then it becomes part of your identity. And then you stop being curious because what if, what if you act on it and yeah. you're not fulfilling your talent, right? And then all of a sudden I'm not talented, but that's who I am, right? Yeah. I'm good at X, Y, Z. And therefore I'm not no longer going to take chances. I'm no longer going to show up with curiosity. Right. And it's like you're, the same few- thing. You, you fear failure. You feel yeah. your fear, you know, there is no yeah. value to, uh, 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 or there is a huge risk to fail. When, yeah. mm-hmm. when in reality, we're, we're safe. We're safe to yeah. fail. In reality, yeah. we can change. And we're change malleable, okay. like being malleable. Yeah. yeah being and we like- won't lose ourselves in that. And in that right. feeling of safety, I think like you, you talked about a feeling of safety, you need to nurture that. You need to know that. Yeah. So people may not have been nurtured. People right. may not have been told these external things really define you. And you cannot be someone beyond these things. You cannot, you, you know, if you lose that, you'll lose yourself. You'll lose your country. You'll lose your community. You'll lose your jobs. You know, like all those yeah. things that people say in propaganda, like those are manipulative things that are taught to you. Yeah. Um, probably based on that other person's fear as well, but with mm-hmm. really, really devastating consequences to communities and individuals and mm-hmm. countries and all of that. So I think yeah. this is an important point, holding on too tight. Mm-hmm. Too tight, right? It's like you're, you, you often fear that. And, and, and I've really been um, thinking about this and, and the way our politics is done, right? Like Kisa Malza and you guys just mentioned very eloquently, it's about people playing on your fears and just holding on to the fear and as if, you know, as if somebody could lose our, like, take our identity from us, right? Like, as if we could be lost. How? How could I ever be how? lost? Like, how? Yeah. How, right? Like, but, but that really comes, Malasa, if you have taken the time to get to know yourself first, right? Most of us probably yeah. can't even sit on our own for a long time, right? Like, we, we, yeah. people are so scared to be on to, their own. Like, to be so on their scared. own. Oh, I love that because yes, we are kind of scared to actually like put our phone down and put away mm-hmm. social media and like, yeah. who cares what that person said, right? Even if it's really good people and people say mm-hmm. great things and I definitely read stuff on the internet and the media that I learn from, but mm-hmm. there is an intentionality to that, to that, that can be helpful. And then there is definitely like a autopilot version. Mindless, can- numbing. And you can lose yourself in that and be like fully just someone else or like be, Mm -hmm. be an identity that's based on other people's identities. When, when, when in actuality, when we spit, sit and spend time with our Mm -hmm. selves and say like, wow, I'm like worth something just for myself. I can Mm -hmm. be someone just for myself. And there is value in that. Um, I think that's where like, you can just really like the way Thich Nhat Hanh says, you can start growing that seed. You water yeah. that seed mm-hmm. of positivity, of self-love, of mm-hmm. um, self-awareness and, and acceptance of just like, this is it. Like, and he says that a lot, this is it, right? Mm-hmm. You are, you have arrived. This is it. There's nowhere else to go. Yeah. There's nothing else you need to do. This is it. Um, and to start saying that to yourself is like really hard. Um, but it can, 
it can start to grow that seed of, of whatever that positive thing is. And that, and that's a concept I love that you can't just be a positive person, right. By saying positive things, you really have to water that seed and allow it to grow. And that takes time and it takes effort and tending. You have to weed the garden, you have to tend the plant and you have to keep doing that over and over again. It's really Mm -hmm. easy to let other stuff grow. That's grows stuff that grows easier, like resentment, uh, judgment, jealousy, hate, you know, those things mm-hmm. grow just a little bit easier. So, and then you really, if you decide to take the time to get to know yourself, I think it's somewhere in the late 20s, you really realize, yeah, oh, this is who I'm. Like, nobody, I don't think like any child, any 14, 15 year old is going to go on this journey. Let me go find out my about myself. Yeah. Or there are, like, Pitchman is like, he became a spiritual guide at like age 15, I think. So I think, so, you know, there's definitely those spiritual enlightened, enlightened yeah. people out there. But, but um, I think the ultimate thing is like, no matter what, when you start, no matter when it is, it's, it's all a thing of like, and I think I really truly want to believe, I don't know what the data behind this is, that every one of us gets that chance or has hopefully more than one chance to be spiritually enlightened and go on this self-understanding journey. So that we can really like learn about ourselves, so who we are, and what are we doing here? Because we're not just sitting here, right? We're we're all sitting here with a purpose that we have mm-hmm. a task to do here. That have, what what do we bring to the community, to the community yeah. of this earth or this world, or or, or at a large, right? Yeah. And it just I just cannot be the fear mongering. It just cannot be like yeah. you know just holding on too tight to anything that it becomes like part of your identity, whereas your identity is like unlimited and this is, you know, it's, it's un, 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 uh, you know, un, or indestructible rather, I would say. Yeah. That. That's mm-hmm. what I really think that it is. Uh, but yeah, key point is just to sort of be aware that you have the power to sort of put the thoughts in your head like, and you intentionally decide whether I'm gonna choose fear versus yeah. Am I going to change, be in tune with what I'm feeling, the intuition? But it, mm-hmm. it doesn't always happen if you don't stop and get that practice into your, right? right? Like, because I don't know, somebody like, somebody who's like very high achieving and not to like put one thing, but like a lot of like medical field, right? Like, I don't really know if all of us have had the chance to stop and like really wonder mm. what the heck are we doing? Like, yes, why are we so like, you know? Like why and, and how can we be more why? mindful? I, I why? Why? Yeah. Just why? Just and, why? Yeah, and and this is really making me think. And I always like I, I, I you know I had like I said I played sports. I'm naturally competitive, believe it or not. But I'm most competitive with myself. Um, and I remember worrying about even in tennis. I remember worrying. I was like, oh, like I got to win. I got to win. And and I used to win all the time. I just used to win, right? Like I used to win, but I remember the day I stopped, like um, this one time that I lost, I was like, you know, I, I kind of like, was my, my parents were watching and they never like pushed me about things, right? They were never like, oh, you have to be this, you have to go to the Olympics. Or, I guess, I, I, don't, I don't know if tennis, if tennis is an Olympic sport now, but you know, it wasn't like, oh, you have to like kill it, do it, whatever. It wasn't like that. But I remember my mom, like, and I was like, mom, I lost. And she was like, oh, I know. But it looked like you had so much fun. 
<laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, I loved it. She was like, so why do you care? Like I remember mm, this thing yes, like that's so important. That's so good. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah, so it's, it's such a small thing. I wish it's so important. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember it, right? I'm 12 years old. Mm. I'm 12 years old. I'm in this like in this like club level, whatever under 13 thing like you know whatever like who cares like you are 12 years old and I was like, I'm, like I, I'm lost and then I was like this feels I remember that moment so specifically now don't ask me why I remember it but it must have had an impact on me yeah. on that 12 year old me right because I was like this is so great like mm. I feel I don't have to worry about anyone else's thing and I'm just gonna do my best it's five now it's five now I'm gonna say this one thing that I saved um that I posted that you you always post great quotes and things and a lot of it is other people's writing I wanted to read this quote that you wrote a long time ago 2020 I wrote I wrote yes or I posted somebody else's you wrote this so usually post stuff that uh, you know you often post things that you're reading or something that inspires you or nature or something yeah um but this one you wrote on by yourself and I I we do sometimes you write stuff on your own which is also yeah. inspiring but I just love this one and I like saved it for myself and I posted it on my Instagram mm. because I just mm-hmm. love just the energy it's coming with oh I don't says, know what's coming I yeah know. yeah <laughs> I'll just read it I hope so this is from Anam uh, in 2020 New Year's Day I think I hope this I hope that this day on you believe in yourself believe even when no one else does Believe that the human mind and body are the finest and most adaptable machines capable of immense work, love, and kindness. Believe in your gifts, whether it's your talent, your patience, your wealth, your time, your jokes, your strength, or your love, and give it to the service of those who need it the most. There are plenty. Find your mission and stay on. Don't think small. This year, go big. I love that. Wow. (laughs) Sounds I like that. something I would write. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like me. Yeah. I just love that because you could read it every day. You know, you could read yeah, it. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, you know, that is that is it, right? That is all we really have to like do. Affirmation. Yeah. I think we like I said, like I literally think that 13-year-old me decided somewhere. I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't really sit there and be like, oh, I'm gonna do this. Like, you know, I think I just I was like, I'm just gonna work on myself and what I do best and harness yeah. that and at the same time um you know and then you intentionally put all these accolades on yourself I don't mean like physical accolades like I don't really care about those but I think they should come as a byproduct of that but mm-hmm. I think the things that you really like bring on to yourself are like you know excellence and just trusting and, and being kind and, and always choosing mm-hmm. to be choosing not to go inside the fear because fear makes us do a lot of weird things right like yeah you know, <laughs> so many weird things fear. that's where all the weirdness comes from it's from fear yeah. Hey, I listen, it's it's great to see you guys and Malisa. Yeah. This is it's so always fun. lovely to talk to you. I know it's always it so fun. always amazing to talk to you. This was so great. Yeah, I'm glad we got to great. connect this way. And like I actually got to see you via Zoom. All right, guys. Yeah, thank you, thank so, you much. so much. This was so fun. This was awesome. Thanks, Anna. Take care. Take care. Have a great day. Nice to meet you guys. Take care. Bye now. Take care. Thanks for listening to Midnight Revolution with Melissa Joyce Khan and Catherine Akiko Day. Our music is by Alishaba Etoop. Like, follow, subscribe, and review wherever you listen to your podcast.